Welcome, and thank you for stopping by Biker Church, Wiley, Texas. Please help us welcome our special guest speaker today. All right. Let's go, Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the many blessings you've given us. Father, I ask that you come into this place with your Holy Spirit. Let it dwell with us this morning. Let it work on our lives. Let it work in our hearts. Father, we just need you today so badly. We, this whole world needs you today. We need to lift up ourselves to you, and we need to do what your word says. Turn from our evil ways and pray and let you hear us in heaven that you can heal our land. Father, I ask that you also bless the offering that's going to be given this morning, the tithes that come into the church that we so desperately need to keep this house moving for you. Watch over us. Be with us as we go through the service. Give us grace. Give us love. And most of all, give us hope followed with our faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our stuff this morning. Uh, on the day of Passover, Jesus told the disciples to go into the upper room and prepare the meal. And when they had prepared the meal, they came in and they ate the meal. And as the tradition goes with eating the meal of Passover, at the end of the meal, Jesus took the bread and he held it up to his father and he said, Dear Heavenly Father God, I ask that you bless this bread to the nurse to our bodies, Father. For it represents the body that I'm going to be broken and it's going to be given for their sicknesses and their, I can't even say that word this morning. Yeah, in, yeah, what y'all said. Anyway, we're going to bless this bread as a symbol of our commitment to them. Take and eat. And he finished eating the bread. He took up the, the cup and he prayed over the cup and he said, Dear Heavenly Father, this is the blood that I shed to wash away their sins and to seal the covenant between you and them. In Jesus' name, he said, Take and drink. We do this on the first Sunday of every month. And I'll tell you again, like I did last month and the month before and the month before that. The communion we take with Christ. He said, take it and do it often in remembrance of me. Now, does that mean that this is the only place you can do that little ceremony? You can do it at your house. You can do it at your job. You can do it anywhere you are. But the biggest thing is, the whole thing about communion is to remind us of what Christ did for us and for us to acknowledge that we know he gave his life for us. So how often should we do communion? Often. Often. That's what he said, right? Do it often and do it in remembrance of me. So every time we think about it, every time we, do you actually have to have a little piece of bread and a little cup of wine to remember what Jesus did for you? I question you where, no, you don't have to have that to remember what he did for you, do you? No. All right. I told you today was a special day and that there were some things going on. Y'all know that in this church we do a mentor program to train disciples to go and become pastors, right? Preachers of the Word. Well, right now we have two going through that study 
Mandy, and Tony. And Tony has completed all of his paperwork. He's done all the classroom work. And as our tradition around here goes, we have him preach three Sundays over a period of time and let y'all look at what he's doing before we actually bring him up for ordination. So today is Tony's first day, y'all. It's his first time to try it. So I expect the same hackling that I get. I expect the same reactions from y'all that I get. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what do you mean you won't hackle him? All right. Y'all pray for Tim. He needs he needs healing. All right, Tony. It's on you, bud. All right, it's all you. Uh, let's pray in. Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church. Lord, may you give me the wisdom and the words that can bring the Holy Spirit down here today and pierce someone's heart and bring them to you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, may your will be done. Amen. All right. Thank you, JR. This is, I've been to many sermons. I've been to church my whole life. This is the first time I've been on the giving end instead of the receiving end. <laughs> so, um, I think the last time I've been this nervous was probably when I went down on one knee in Kathy's parents. And my father-in-law, Ray, just put his arm around me and said, welcome to the family. It made me feel at home. So, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, we're going to be in Genesis 3 today. We're going to go Old Testament. Even though Ray gave me that warm hug, welcome to the family, I still can't help but stop thinking about Paul when he first started preaching and he did his first missionary journey. And at one of the first stops, of course, he went to preach and they actually stoned him to death when he went to preach. And it was in uh, Lystra. And they dragged him out of the city and brought him into the countryside to leave him for dead. And his disciples came in and said, oh, what are we going to do? We have to bury him. What does Paul do? He was raised from the dead, jumped up, dusted himself off, and the disciples are just in awe looking at him like, how did he do that? He's, he's risen from the dead. And of course, he's, he's already prophesied and he's already healed people, so he's definitely a man of God. And they thought, wow, what's he going to do? And the first thing he says, I'm going back in the city. I got to preach to them guys who stoned me. So <laughs> it's an awesome story. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know why I keep thinking of that. I don't feel like any of y'all have any rocks or anything to hit me with. <laughs> Who did? Oh, Maggie's got one. Oh, that's what made me think of it. I saw that rock that Maggie had, and I thought, oh, is that for me? Is that stone for me? <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. Oh, little Maggie had it. Okay. Okay, so Mandy didn't have a stone then. Okay, good. You don't have any stones back there. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> okay. I'm, I'm getting used to this whole thing, the headset and standing up here. You remember in the old church when the door used to be in the front of the church, remember? And who was the last one in usually? Yeah, it was me, and I was always the first one out to make up for it, right? So, <laughs> um, 
Truly, it's an honor to be here. Um, I truly love this church. Um, it's Kathy and I have been to many churches, and, and this church is the one that's really spoken to my heart uh, more than any other. And um, Kathy's like, well, what took you so long to get here? <laughs> uh, it, it's been awesome. And I couldn't think of a better church. If it wasn't for this church, I don't think I'd be up here doing this. Um, I'm full of nerves and emotion, but uh, God has called me to do this. And I really feel that this is my home. This is the place where I can do this. I wouldn't be able to do it if, if it was any other church. Uh, so let's go to uh, Genesis 3. And in the beginning, when, when God created us, it was perfect. We were living in the Garden of Eden. We fellowship with God. It was just Adam and his companion. God created us to live eternally. Uh, we're starting in Genesis 3, but in Genesis 1 and 2, God created everything. He created the universe. And he created us to be in fellowship with him. And everything was perfect. And then what happened? <laughs> so let's start in the beginning of Genesis 3. I'll go ahead and start reading it. Uh, the serpent came, and this was, uh, he basically came to Eve, who was um, in the garden. And Satan really is manipulating this situation. And he's coming to, to Eve, and he says, you shall not eat from any, is it really that God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And that's in 3.1. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, except the fruit from the tree which is in the middle of the garden. God said, you shall not eat from it, nor touch it, or otherwise you will die. So that was the only commandment that Adam and Eve had in the garden. They had one rule, and it was to not eat the tree or even touch it in this scripture. But the serpent said, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. That is, unless you have greater awareness and you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. When the woman saw the tree, she said it was good for food and it was delightful to look at. It was a beautiful tree. It was probably one of the most beautiful trees in there. In order to make one wise and insightful, she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. So Adam was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of the two of them were open in awareness, and they knew that they were naked. And they fasted, fastened fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord coming. So keep in mind, Adam and Eve were created in Genesis 1 and 2 to multiply, to subdue the earth. So in effect, they're the first family. So here comes God asking them, this is like the first family counseling session. The first uh, session that God has and the first questions he asks them, where are you? 
God calls to Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten fruit from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, and the man said, this is the first counseling session, right? So what is it? So what is the first thing Adam does? The first thing Adam does is, is he says, he actually says to God, well, you, this is the woman you gave me. So rather than being repentant, what does he do? He says, he says, the woman you gave me, God, <clears throat> gave me this fruit to eat. Gave me the fruit of this tree, and I ate it. And then God looks at the woman, who's the last thing God created, right? In the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. That was his grand finale, the woman, right? The last woman, yeah. And he asked her, what have you done? What have you done? And the woman said, the serpent did it. So the first counseling session that God has with his family is totally dysfunctional. Adam blames Eve. Eve blames the serpent. So does either one of them sound repentant at all? No. Neither one of them repented. But unlike any other family, this is the first family. And unfortunately, the errors that they made is now handed down to us and to all mankind. So that unrepentant sin of Adam and Eve has totally ruined our eternal life in the garden with God. They had to be removed from the garden. God made them some skin, slaughtered animals, and they had to leave the garden. So Eve's answer, and God in in 14, um, said, because you have done this, there's consequences for what happened, and it impacts us greatly. Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle, more than any animal of the field. On your belly you should go, and the dust you shall eat. I will put enmity and hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and offspring. Her seed shall fatally bruise your head, and you shall only bruise his heel. Who's he talking about there? Right. This is the first time in in Genesis, immediately when the error was made, of Adam, of course, the responsibility was Adam. He had to be the head of his household, and what did he do instead? He threw Eve under the bus, right? <laughs> so, <clears throat> the first thing God says is He has the solution already made at the very beginning. During the first counseling session, He's prophesying Jesus is going to come, and He's going to bruise the head of the serpent, which is Satan, and it's going to bruise His heel which will be Jesus' heel. <clears throat> also, the consequences he had is, is the woman's going to be greatly uh, 
Greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, give birth, yet your desire and longing will be for your husband. He will rule with authority over you and be responsible for you. Then to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and eaten fruit from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is now under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil you shall eat the fruit of it all the days of your life. So the impact was also not only Adam and Eve and the serpent, but it was also the entire earth is now under the curse or the consequences of Adam and Eve. So when I say the curse, it's, it's the consequences that Adam and Eve are receiving for their unrepentant sin. Now the earth, the garden, is going to grow thorns and thistles. Did you ever grow a garden? That's a battle, isn't it? <laughs> if it isn't the thorns and the thistles, it's the fire ants, it's whatever else, the birds, everything else. So God is saying, now the earth is going to make you work for it. You're going to have to work. The consequences of this unrepentant sin is we're going to have to work. Uh, verse 19, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread until you return to the ground. From it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That consequence is now sin has brought death. We were built to live eternally. These bodies were never meant to die. But because of this consequence, now and I believe it's Genesis 1, we weren't supposed to decay. We were supposed to live forever and spend that eternity with God in heaven. But here, I can't help but notice, it says that we're made from dust. So men are made from dust of the earth. And of course, God's grand finale is women were made from the men made from dust. They were made from the rib, right? At this time, the man named his wife Eve. So Eve finally gets her name because she, has, she was the mother of all the living. Lord God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, knowing how to distinguish between good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take the, from the tree of life as well as eat and live. Fallen, sinful condition forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent Adam away from the Garden of Eden to till and cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So God drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden. He permanently stationed the cherubim and the sword with the flashing blade, which turned round and round in every direction to protect and guard the way of the entrance to the Tree of Life. Um, in, in the temple, or even in the tabernacle, they always built the tabernacle with the entrance to the east. Because when Adam and Eve left the garden, they believed that the only way to enter the tabernacle, which recreated the garden, would bring them in from the east. So they always built the temple with the east entrance. So how does this work? Now that we have the curse and we're under this sin, God gave us a solution that the seed of Eve is going to crush the head of the serpent. So how does, how does God's plan, this is actually foretelling God's plan for salvation. 
So I'd like to go to Romans 5, 12, 17. And Paul, Apostle Paul, the one who was stoned at his first missionary <laughs> mission, I would like to uh, see what he has to say about this. Give me an amen when you get there. So Paul's giving you a description of how the plan of salvation's working in 5.12. We saw how that sin came into the world in 5.12. He's saying, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people, no one being able to stop it or escape its power, because they all sinned. Actually, I'm supposed to go down to 18. Got ahead of myself. The Apostle Paul, as we see how devout he is to survive a stoning and get up and continue to preach to the very people who stoned him, he basically spoke five languages. He spoke uh, Latin. He spoke Hebrew. He spoke Aramaic. He spoke language of the scribes. He could preach anywhere, anytime to anyone. He could preach to Hebrews in the temple, in the synagogue. He can preach to anyone else out in the countryside. And he did. One thing about Paul is that when he writes a scripture, he repeats it in three different ways. <laughs> he, will he will repeat it. And he gives it to different audiences. So he's speaking to different people. So in verse 18, he's speaking to me because I can understand it. The other scriptures, the other ones that he repeats it two other times before this, takes a little bit of digging to figure out what he's saying. But in verse 18, he's saying, as, as through one trespass, who trespassed? Adam. There resulted condemnation for all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted in justification to life of all men. Who is he talking about there? Jesus. So what Jesus did for us is giving us righteousness. What Jesus did. And that would be the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Christ. He undid what Adam did. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself again. So look at 19. <clears throat> For just as through one man's disobedience, his failure to hear his carelessness, which was Adam, the many were made sinners. So we're not sinners because we sin. We're sinners because we're born that way under Adam. So, <clears throat> so through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous and acceptable to God and brought into right standing with him. And that's what Jesus did. 
Verse 20, the law came to increase and expand the awareness of the trespass by defining and unmasking sin. But where sin increased God's remarkable, gracious gift of grace, his unmerited favor has surpassed it and all increased the more. This is basically saying that Christ is going to outdo what Adam did. His grace is far greater than the curse that was put on Adam. He's going to far exceed anything, any sin that we can commit, anything that we've done in our past, present, or future. Jesus is the answer. And that's what he's saying right here. It has surpassed and increased all the more. And as that sin reigneth in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the, the, the good news. He's there to, to, to surpass us. He's there to surpass and cover any sin that we could possibly commit. So let's talk about sin. <clears throat> the Bible is full of every sin that man has possibly could commit. It's full of anything you can think of. Murder, deception. It's like a soap opera, right? <laughs> Everything you can see on TV has been in the Bible. Everything that you could imagine a, a, a person could sin is in the Bible. And that's the believers in God that commit that sin. <clears throat> so let's talk about sin and what sin means. Sin, in its pure definition, means miss the mark. We, we miss the mark. Um, sin is also a heart thing. If you don't, if you're rebellious in your heart, that is the purest form. That's like the, the beginning of sin. It starts in your heart. It starts with thoughts in your head, um, thoughts that, that are against God, sinning against God. So, sin is, is a bottomless pit. Once you go down that road, if it's unchecked, if the Holy Spirit doesn't come and stop you from sinning, it's just going to spiral down and down. For example, sin can lead to trespasses. Actually, there's, like I have a, a list here of several things that sin can lead to, and it could be trespasses, transgressions, inequities, are the areas that sin can take you to, and it, they get worse as sin goes on. You know, it could start out as a simple lie, and it can, can transfer down and trickle down and become inequity very easily, very rapidly. So trespasses is basically, what does trespass mean to you? Right, going someplace you shouldn't be, right? Well, trespass means crossing the line either intentionally or unintentionally you could sin. Is it possible that we could be sinning and not know it? That would be an example of a trespass. So some other trespasses uh, we can think of in the Bible is like Peter. Peter was more of a falling away kind of trespass. What did he do to Jesus when Jesus was arrested? He denied him. So <clears throat> that would be considered a trespass. Sometimes uh, life circumstances could blur the lines. 
if you're sinning or not sinning. Did you ever have blurry lines? And you think about, which way am I to go? Well, when Peter was with Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ was arrested. When Christ was arrested, who came to arrest him? Temple guards? The Bible says it was a whole cohort of Roman soldiers. How many Roman soldiers are in a cohort? Anybody know? On a cohort, depending on what type of cohort it is, it could be anywhere from 480 to 600 Roman soldiers came to arrest Christ. And I don't know if Judas got his money's worth for those 30 pieces of silver, but he was paid 30 pieces of silver to do what? To, do, to betray Christ. And he betrayed him with a kiss. But that was a waste of money, because when the soldiers came, it was probably also the temple guards came, and everybody came, and the centurion asked, or, or I think, believe it was Christ who asked him first, who are you here for? And they said, we're here to arrest Jesus Christ. We're here to arrest him. We're here for Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus looked at him and said, I am. And when Jesus said, I am, those Roman soldiers were blown over on their heels, on the ground, laying down. Just two words. Two words out of the Holy Bible. I am blew away a whole cohort of Roman soldiers. Blew them backward. So the story of Peter and the sword, what did Peter do with his sword? He cut off the ear. So that's easy to do when you see Christ knock down a whole cohort of Roman soldiers, right? Blows them all down, topples them down like toy soldiers you did as a kid, right? I used to do that with rubber bands, right? You shoot them all down, knock them all down. That's what Jesus did with two words, I am. So Peter, wouldn't you feel brave? You had a sword? Yeah, I'm going to fight for Jesus. What does Jesus tell him? Yeah, this ain't the way to go. Live by the sword, die by the sword. So the circumstance at that time, Peter was the first one to claim Christ. Christ came as a man, and he was God, God and man. He came as a servant. I told Peter, put away your sword. That ain't what we're going to do here today. Did, I mean, Jesus could have handled everything by himself. <laughs> so <clears throat> when Jesus got arrested, he was chained, he was beaten, he was taken to Jerusalem, he was probably taken to Pontius Pilate's uh, praetorium, and humiliated and beaten there, what did Peter do when somebody recognized him? Peter. So was the circumstance different? Very much different. So he was claiming Christ when he was being arrested, and Christ showed his power of God. I am. Once Christ became a servant and took the chains and the beatings, they said, hey, you're one of his friends, aren't you? He said, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. He denied him three times, right? So that's an example of trespassing in life's circumstances. There's so many times I make excuses when I sin that, well, I'm, it's the place I'm at. 
you know, it's the place I'm at. I'm far away from God. He's not going to know I'm sinning. Did God know that Peter was going to sin? He prophesied it three times before the rooster crows. Yeah. So that's trespass. That, that's an example of trespassing in life circumstances that get in our way. Transgression. Transgression is intentionally breaking a rule or a law. What did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They broke God's law. The only law they had, it was a transgression. Usually, this is intentional. They intentionally ate that fruit. And they knew. How do you know? Because Eve told Satan, God said not to eat the tree of knowledge and truth. She did it anyway. What's Adam's excuse? He ate of the fruit as well, right? Yeah, his wife, yeah, she, no, the wife you gave me, God, right? Yeah. So this is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Inequity. Inequity is the deepest level of sinning. It's all sin. All, everything, transgression, even inequity that I'm talking about, trespasses, it's all sin, and it's all forgivable through Christ Jesus. Inequity. Inequity is deeper, deeper than transgression or trespasses. It's deep-rooted, premeditated choice to commit evil and continue without repentance. It's almost like, well, I can steal a candy bar and nobody's going to know. I'll just keep doing it. And you go from candy bars to I don't know what comes next, right? Whatever happens. So inequity is, is, is to, continue, to, to continue without any fear of the Lord. Without any fear of the Lord. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. If you continue on, <clears throat> I got some quotes here from Micah. 21, it says, Woe to those who plan inequity, to those who plot evil on their beds. At morning's light, they carry it out because it is in their power to do it. How about David, King David, with Bathsheba and the killing of her husband, Uriah? Would that be considered inequity? Yeah. Was David forgiven? So he plotted all along um, to give Uriah the most dangerous military assignments he can and gave him as little support as possible and eventually died. But he cries out to God in Psalms 51.2, God, wash away all my inequity and cleanse me from my sin. So even that was forgiven. The, diff, the, the problem with committing sin, unrepentant sin, continuously, is sometimes referred to in the Bible as the cup of iniquity. Your cup of iniquity will overflow, which means you don't care anymore. You have no more fear, and that sin just keeps building up and building up. In Revelation 17, 4, and Genesis, they talk about uh, nations who, who God completely forsaken. Could that happen to us? Could we continuously sin 
with unrepentance and no fear of the Lord and miss out? Yeah, Romans 1, 28 through 32 outlines this unrepentant sin and what happens to the probate mind. And it's a mind, or reprobate mind, sorry, a mind that can no longer repent. In Hebrews, they also mention it, um, what Jesus has done is, in Hebrews 9, 27, 28, it's appointed men to die once. So even though we're dying because of sin, we only die once. And after that, judgment. So Christ was once offered, in that scripture, was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall appear the second time with sin, without sin, into salvation. So looking to Christ and fearing the Lord is how we get over the sin of Adam. Revelations 9.11 says, they sung a new song, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tongue, and people, and nation. So that's individuals as well as nations that are caught in sin. Has thus made us into our kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels run about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. So these are the people that God is going to have come to him that's going to be reconciled through Jesus Christ. And to do what? Is to reign on earth in God's kingdom. I know I covered a lot, but um, and I, being my first time preaching, um, I have always had faith in God. He's always had me throughout my life, even when I committed iniquity. So I guess I would be the one that would make deals with God in my own mind. I would say, you know, God, I know you're there, but I'm young. I'm 21. I can go out and drink and do whatever I want and live my life as a 21-year-old and put God on the shelf and on the side. So I knew God was there, but it was willful sin I was committing. I'm, I'm willfully sinning and not thinking about God. I'm putting God off to the side. And I think, I'll get back with him later. I'll get back with him later. So as I'm sinning, <clears throat> thinking that God's not paying any attention to me, it always comes back when you, when you come back to the Lord and you repent to him and have the Holy Spirit come into you, it really convicts you extra hard. And it's, it's like, oh God, what have I done? So for you young people, it's better to stay in fellowship with God in the very beginning and not fall away from God to avoid a lot of that. Um, one other thing I, I wanted to mention is uh, the, this, when Adam uh, sinned and Christ uh, basically overcame that sin. He overcame it for everyone. It wasn't just for um, certain groups of people or, or certain, it was for anybody who's faithful. Anybody who believes in Christ and calls upon him, 
and believes him in your heart and confesses with your lips, you will be saved. So that's all I had. Thank you. Thank you. And if you think what he did is easy, <laughs> I got a trick for you. Listen, guys, he told a lot of he told a lot of facts. He gave us a lot of information. But the one thing that kept ringing true in everything he said was, the way out of sin is through Christ Jesus. Amen. I know that every one of y'all in here knows what's coming next, right? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to pray for yourself this time. I want you to pray yourself. What is God talking to you about this morning? Where are you at? Are you in that in repentant sin? Are you in that place where you need something to happen in your life to change you? Are you capable of recognizing who you are? Are you able to come back and say, I'm okay. I've got the blood of Jesus on me and I'm doing okay. But are you in that place where you need to recommit yourself? Are you in that place where you need to say, I need Jesus now more than I ever did? It's hard to understand, isn't it? But each one of us has a place this morning. Where are you? Let your prayers ring true in your life. Ask Christ what he needs you to do right now. Do I need to make a commitment for the rest of my life? For the first time? Or do I need to make a new commitment because I failed so much on the first try? Or the second try, or the third, or fourth, whatever it's been. You have that opportunity right now. If God's tugging at your heart for anything, make a move. Come up here to these altars and turn your life over to Christ. If that's you and you need to make that step this morning, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Just say, Jesus, I need you back in my life. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've had together with you this morning. We thank you with the planting of the seeds of salvation in our lives. We thank you for the gift that Tony is beginning to share with us. Father, we ask that you just lift him up, anoint him in a way that he's never felt before. Just walk with him as he goes through this next phase of his life. And be with us that we can be encouraging to others. Watch over us, keep us safe. Bring us back tonight for tonight's services. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have prayer requests or need to contact us, please email us at bikerchurchwileytexas at gmail.com or call 214-283-0620. Please send all written correspondence to 303 Highway 78, Suite 103, Wiley, Texas 75098. And if you wish to make a donation, 
please make all checks payable to PSMM. God bless you and have a great day.